1: Arsenal in the Europa League on permanent break after irreconcilable differences. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Vidic, Blackman black Yankee Gunner. Yeah, goodbye forever. Goodbye and thanks for nothing. A dreadful competition, dreadful music, terrible standard of football. Absolutely did not enjoy zero out of ten lots of notes. Would not advise and uh, uh, would not recommend on TripAdvisor dreadful competition. Dreadful. And we're out of it, and we're into the Champions League, uh, just not this season. So, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the European draw and, and how that may change or influence how we feel about the loss last night. We're going to talk about, I think, the complex topic of how to parse the emotion of a loss when your head says one thing and your heart says another. On the instant reaction last night, I really talked about how, in my head, I felt kind of good about how the game turned out in some ways intellectually, but your heart isn't always ruled by your head. And when their final penalty flew in, I was feeling pretty low emotionally. So we'll try to balance those two things. Recognize that every time you watch Arsenal play, you want to see Arsenal win. I've seen people lose their rag over a preseason loss. Okay, it's totally normal. Well, maybe that's not normal, but you know, his shades of normal. Um, we got to talk about the the lineup of course the injuries that's i think what's on everyone's mind today and the new manager bounce that once again we will face against crystal palace although it will not be a full-time new manager it'll be the caretaker so do you get a caretaker bounce we'll talk about all that and more plus if you are a patron uh, of our podcast or our Arse blogs our cast podcast uh you'll want to be checking patreon uh in the next few hours for an announcement so That's all coming up. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're taking care of one another and yourself. I will say that we've had a very, very good season in a few moments like this. And it's in moments like this that sometimes we don't always treat each other the way we'd like to. Um, I would just suggest that we recognize that everybody's going to deal with getting knocked out of the Europa League differently. Some people celebrated it. Some people were really down and, and there were a whole range of emotions in between. So I hope we can respect one another's views on that. I certainly will not do that with Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I expect to be fully dismissive of whatever your view is on that exit. And I want you to be prepared for it. And Paul, who I'm dismissive of on a number of topics, including the ones we'll be discussing today is on Twitter at positive. My pants pause. Woo-hoo. I have consciously uncoupled from the Europa league <laughs> conscious uncoupling. That's right. Uh, yes. Citing irreconcilable differences. Arsenal announced conscious uncoupling from Europa league. And I, for one could not be happier about it. Uh, We would have faced Juventus in the next round and United after that. Manchester City have to get through Bayern and Real Madrid. We now have 11 games left in our season. City, depending on how they do against Bayern, could have somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 or more. Who would you rather be? The team with five-point lead at the top of the table in 11 games or the team trying to overhaul that margin in 17-plus games? Um, You know, I realize that when you say it that way, it's very loaded. There's a lot of football to play, and they have a very deep squad, and we may have a less deep squad than we hope based on what happened last night, and we're going to discuss that right now. And Clive, there is only one place to start. It's been a while since we've had a good controversy over a lineup. Um, there are people, and I'm I'm more in this group, but I've moved away from it because I, you know, I think I've matured. Who would say? You just play the damn kids in the Europa League. Just play the kids. If you lose, you lose. Play the kids. We have a chance to win the Premier League. Don't do anything to jeopardize that. It just isn't realistic that you're going to play the kids. And I do, I do acknowledge that. But I, I think it is a fair question to say if you're going to rotate, how much rotation should you do? Mikel did rotate in the first leg, and he did rotate in the second leg. He just got burned because some of the guys he didn't rotate. One in particular, William Saliba, got injured. So what's your take on the lineup he picked and the extent of rotation or non-rotation that we saw for this game?
2: We've been quite consistent the whole way along, haven't we? Making six, seven changes, potentially. Mm. Um, and that's what he's done. And, that, and that's what. And I've been consistent in saying that's what you need to do. You know, so I suppose when you see the game transpire, you see the injuries in the first half your brow becomes furrowed, isn't it? And you start to have hindsight thoughts. But, you know, my view is always the Europa League, I felt, was quite important to the club from a status point of view. I think our European record is poor. I wasn't too concerned about the League Cup and I wasn't too concerned about the FA Cup. But I thought Europa League was worth going for. I do think, though, as you alluded to earlier, you can't help but watch an Arsenal team. Well, I can't help but watch an Arsenal team and want that team to win. When the game goes on, your emotions are totally invested. However, 24 hours later, we're in a better position to get what we want to get versus 24 hours ago. If Sleever's injury, which seems to be a back spasm, is not too bad, we have 11 games to go. And those 11 games will be like Champions League semi-finals to us, no matter who we're playing, because the prize is a once-in-20-year prize for us. You know, and that's we in the league again. So it absolutely clarifies everything. All of those fans out there now looking at their calendars saying, okay, I'm going to go at this game. I'm going to be ready. Where am I going to be on this day? I need to be here ready for this day. Because the league schedule is being solidified as we speak. You know, and it's all about project refocus. Refocus everybody on the next thing we're doing on the league games. There's one prize. There's one thing to do. If you shoot for the stars, you're going to end up with the moon anyway. And the most important thing for this club from a sporting perspective is being in the Champions League. It looks like we're going to achieve that for next season. But we could really do something special. And we are positioned to do so. And so, yeah, I wanted it. But reality slapped me in the face this morning like a fish and said, we weren't going to do both. Let's be honest. We were not going to do both. We wanted it. We're fans. We're optimistic. We were going to do both. And last night's game showed us exactly why the travails of two competitions when at that level we're not quite ready for yet. You know, and that's the reality. It hit me yesterday. And um, if you're honest, it it probably hit more than just me, right? All of us.
1: Mm. Um, I think the, the thing that's hard, right, is that if we get through that game losing but without the injuries, I think people would say, you know, prudent approach to the two legs we we rotated we didn't get what we wanted I mean in some ways let's face it the first leg cost us obviously not just not progressing but it cost us maybe heavier rotation in this leg I mean had had we done the the job in the first leg we might have seen more rotation in this leg. we might have seen Saliba not play I think the thing right now that we should be clear about is we don't know anything about the injuries, but what we think we know is that the Tomiyasu one might be quite bad and the Saliba one might be nothing. Clive.
2: You took the words out of my mouth. The sleep I'm reading around as you, as you're talking Elliot and journalists who are close enough to see the mix zone and see people walk out are telling us one person walked out and crutches and one person went skipping down the yellow brick road. Right. So Libra was much fitter yeah. than the other one. So um, Tomiyasu, that could be anything mate depending on the scan no doubt
1: well and this is the problem paul like you let's say trossard got an injury and and saliba got an injury okay you'd say well that stinks but we can play martinelli instead of trossard and we have jesus back and we could play ben white instead of saliba and play tomiyasu at right back the problem is what you can't afford are cluster injuries, right? Like for a, for a moment there, we had Nketiah and Jesus out. That's a cluster injury, right? Now you're down to your third choice option. The thing that sucks about losing Tomiyasu if Saliba misses time is that you. I think Mikel ideally would like to say, fine, Ben White plays center back. He was our best center back last season. And Tomiyasu plays right back. But now we don't have that. So now you are into the realm of we probably have to play Rob Holding in a Premier League game. Again, if Saliba has to miss one, and that's where the hairs on the back of your neck start to stand up so i I think the cause for concern is not just will saliba miss time, but with Tomiyasu potentially missing quite a bit of time, you now look at a situation where like it it becomes very, very important that saliba is available, otherwise we're picking players that you just know the manager does not want to pick in a Premier League game, and the the squad is deep. In a lot of places. But these these particular injuries could put us in a tough spot. So one thing that that I did want to touch on, though, I think there's a positive here that's been a little bit overlooked in the wake of what was a disappointing performance and a disappointing exit and the injuries and all the concerns about it. And that is Gabriel Jesus looking like Gabriel Jesus for me. I I don't know, Paul. I I think this is going to be potentially the difference maker in the title run. He hasn't scored yet. But he nearly set up a goal in his cameo against Fulham. He should have scored a goal against Fulham. He was all over the pitch. And then last night, he tricks his way past four defenders the way we were used to seeing him do the thing. We don't really have another player who does it, and it's it's well saved. He's setting things up for people. You know what I loved about his performance, Paul? The little clever runs across the back line, dragging defenders with him and, and how they struggle to follow him. And that's Vieira feeding him. If that's Odegaard, it's even better. So can we take... Can we take some positives away from the Jesus performance? Because I think I, I think we've been hoping that his return would herald a, a, a stronger title challenge. And I think in his two appearances so far, I feel good about saying that that's what's going to happen.
3: Uh, yeah, I think it's a significant positive. Um, look, all you got left is taking the positives or negatives. Um, I think the challenge with these kinds of games, and people are all arguing with each other after a game like this, there's an illusion that there's a green button where you choose an outcome and a red button that you choose an outcome but you don't we didn't choose I didn't choose it doesn't matter what I wanted I didn't get to choose exit or stay the manager didn't the team didn't um when I look at the criticism of the lineup um I didn't actually see much criticism of the lineup like there's always people on twitter we are going to argue with you or argue one side or the other but like the media the pundits the the reasonable people you know out there we're okay with this lineup um and uh what you don't need is a whole back backlash of well they didn't put out a strong enough lineup this was a bloody strong lineup with jesus uh starting and you in if you wanted arsenal to put out a a relatively very strong team in the Europa League. I don't think you can argue about this. It would have been weird to go any stronger. So Jesus is there. He, he was supposed to be there for 60 minutes, but we had some early sub-issues. He was there for 45 minutes. He looked the business, Um, you know, absolutely at his level, including a couple of chances where he probably... Should have done, could have done better. Maybe not should have done better. So but That is literally his level, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Causing chaos, uh, going like crazy. Um, the, the beautiful part of Jesus been back and been firing. Um, I guess he doesn't go to the interlull because he's still not there yet. So he's got a couple of weeks to get full, full force. We got Trossard, we got Martinelli, all in that area of the pitch, all effectively can interchange in-game or stand in for each other if there's a need for it. Anybody gets a bit of a niggle. And we have this, not to lean into the positives of not being in the Europa League, uh, uh, like is there anybody who didn't have mixed feelings? What's your mother's favorite word, Elliot? Um, That's right. um, Ambivalent. Uh, yeah,
1: that's right. And and and, <laughs> and I'll love with you in a big, big fight over what that word means. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, we're going a with memory, the definition where it's not that you don't care, it's that you care a lot about both sides of it, right? Now, we well, I learned that the way. hard way, yes. Yeah, yeah. Ambivalent, mm. uh, which in Greek and Latin means all sorts of things, including what I want it to mean. And right. We had all the feelings, or at least both of them, last night. You can want a clear run in the in the in the Premier League, and really want to win that game last night against that team. And as the game went further and further on, we did. But where where I was going with this is, we're going to have Jesus, Martinelli, Trossard, competing. In as much as anybody's ever going to compete with Jesus and certainly Martinelli we've seen that with Trossard and have options and what like you might say well nobody's going to compete with with Jesus but you are because do you keep Jesus on for 90 or 96 minutes or do you pull him off after 60 or 65 minutes if it's not quite happening on the evening and bring on Trossard or switch it up move Trossard left and like and this was my big point I was quite pleased with on the instant reaction yesterday <laughs> one of the things you're looking for uh, is to move away from this uh shadow of oh my god the premier league we got seven games to go we got six games to go we need to keep w-, this pressure where you kind of get hypnotized by the 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 thing you're going for and you get more and more nervous to having the players all competing for to play that saturday or that sunday so that in training the obsession is oh my god it isn't we uh, we've got oh my god six or seven games it's I want to start on Saturday or Sunday, and when I'm on the pitch, I want to play so well, I stay on for 90 minutes and don't get yanked off at 60 minutes because Trossard is looking for my spot or Je- Jesus is there thinking, um, not not that he needs any prompting to go 110%, but i got to go 110% because if I look a little off it, if I'm feeling a little off it, I'll get yanked. Trossard comes on, they switch things up. Same with Odegaard versus Vier, Like, we need competition all around the pitch, which might seem a weird thing to come away from this game with. Um, because those players must not fixate on 11 games, 10 games, 9 ga- games. What they need to fixate on is winning mm-hmm. the game, because you don't change a winning team, playing well enough, you stay on the pitch, playing well enough, training hard enough, and... Like, Jesus being back at full bore, Trossard being full bore, Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard. Yeah. uh, I think Jacques had a pretty good game. And so, like, at the end of the day, you want everybody performing, competing. And Jesus gave us that last night.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, I want to ask you about that as well, Clive. Look, there's probably a question to be asked about Mikel's European record. It's a question that will almost certainly be asked when we're in the Champions League next season. I think what makes the Europa League hard as you try to evaluate someone's record in it, because let's face it, exit to Olympiacos wasn't good. We exited to the bad man. That wasn't good. Exit to sporting at this stage of the competition isn't good. But the problem with the Europa League that makes it hard to evaluate is you're usually trying to do this weird dance of, I'll rotate, I won't exactly play my first team, I'm not exactly going to play my strongest team, and you're going to get some unpredictable performances, whereas in the Champions League, it's much less likely you're doing that. And ultimately, it's a conversation for next season when it will be a lot more relevant. Um, Well, let me ask you first about Jesus, Clive, and then I want to talk a little bit about midfield where I think There's a concern, but I'll explain the kind of concern I'm talking about. So firstly, just on Jesus, I see a player who is ready to just take us up another level again. Do you see anything different than that?
2: No, I see a player that needs to take us up another level again. I think that's Mm. the most important thing. His season will come in two-thirds. In the middle third, he's missed. And he he was the man in the first third that transformed all our beliefs And the team carried that on. And we have the same gap today as when he came out of the team 12, 13, 14 games ago. So now he's back. And you're the man. You're the top man. You're the big signing. You're the highest paid player. So my worry is he's going to try too hard, (laughs) you know, I think, um, to come back and really deliver. So I think he accepts that responsibility. That's exactly why he was bought. So hopefully he stays fit. As Paul sort of touched on, he hasn't got to play 95 minutes of every minute of every game. He just needs to give us what he can and other people can take over. That's a much stronger position than when he left. Because when he came out of the team, there was really only one player that could do, that we saw from a distance that could do what he can do. And he does it differently. You know, So that in Eddie, so now we have different options. Potentially Smithfield getting closer. Eddie coming back hopefully before the end of the season and Trossard's in the in the squad. So. Yeah, it's, um, it's, show, it's show me the money time, right? This is it. This is it.
1: Yeah. Well, so let, let's get to some of the, the downsides of this performance. And I mean, look, <clears throat> failing to beat sporting over two legs ain't great, even with the rotated side. We should have played better. We should have done better. They did really well. And to be fair, they don't get to extra time in, this, in, in the second leg without one of the goals of Europa League history. I mean, after what we faced from Naeem in the Cup Winners' Cup, I think we should not have to face another goal from the halfway line again, but we did. It went in, and that, that's that. Um, I do think that there's a midfield issue here, though, and I think it will impact decisions that Arteta makes from here on, Clive. Um, Jorginho played a lovely pass, lovely pass to Martinelli for the shot that's well saved for Shaka's goal. Brilliant. Thank you for your service. But in general, I thought he was really, really poor. And I think that the idea that you can play Jorginho and Shaka and Vieira together is one that we won't see that again. But I wonder if we'll see Jorginho at much. <laughs> I was gonna say it all. That might be hyperbole, but much. You just see the way we get run through when he's there. There was one moment in particular where Shaka slid to the ground, didn't get to the ball, and Jorginho just like turned and watched the player run past him. He can't move. And when you see Party come on and the burst he has to get back, <clears throat> it really allows us to play the way we want to play. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with Jorginho on the ball. Um, maybe he's slightly less progressive at times than Thomas Party, but he needs to read the game. And if he can't step up and intercept, he cannot cover the ground. And we we see things when we play with Jorginho that remind me of old Arsenal players running back towards their goal with acres of green grass that they're trying to cover, things we just don't see much with this arsenal. So maybe it's that our press wasn't working, maybe it's that there wasn't a level of intensity, or maybe it's just that Jorginho and Shaq in particular together leave you with a deficit of athleticism. But do you have any thoughts on the midfield, and in particular Jorginho and, and our ability to play the way we want to play with that level of or lack of athleticism and physicality in the center of the pitch?
2: Yeah, the whole team structure was different. So if you sort of look at how we normally play, right? So we was playing, we we sort of have two at the back, but really the, the big thing to note about our two at the back is it rolls into a three and Saliba really is a sweeper. So he's like the deepest man. So Saliba comes off. The first thing that happens then is that Rob Holding, he's not a sweeper by trade. He wants to play, go and get things. So he He wants to go fishing. Have we seen that before? He gets attracted to the man. He goes really tight. Son, Tottenham, we all know the drill. He wants to get tight. He wants to smash people. So you now take out your sweeper and you replace him with a front foot aggressor, which means if Ben White's out of position, which he can occasionally be if he's not focused and goes high, um, suddenly, guess who's dropping into our back line? Jorginho. If you notice in the first leg, he got run in the in the right-back corner. And In this game, he got run on the left-back corner. And so what he does spend a lot of time in, strangely enough, he drops into the back line to receive the ball, a bit like Shaka used to in the old days. But what that does, it gives comfort that we've got a body there, but his body can't move. And then he jumps out of that hole, and we look completely broken structurally. I do think... He's a gambler. Remember, Elliot, we watched the Zinchenko scouting video and Zinchenko is very much of a gambler-presser from central areas. Georgino's even worse. So you'll see a picture in this game where he goes to gamble to press, gets popped past, and then you see him drop out of, your, uh, drop out of the screen. Right? So it's just who he is. He plays differently. But when he has, when you are playing with a team that has control and he's got everything in front of him, he has some lovely passing movement. But I'm afraid off the ball... He's, he's not there. And, um, you know, we talk about rotation earlier on. The podcast we don't want to have today is why did we play Thomas Part in this game and he's now out for a significant period of time because then we are talking about a serious, serious problem because when that guy comes on the mm. pitch, everything changes. You know, and yeah, that's not... So, so if Jorginho has played that role, to keep that guy fit, to take him off the game in games where we need to keep him healthy. That's the role he needs to play. He needs to literally carry Thomas Partey's bags around so he don't even strain his arms. Do you know what I mean? Literally, that's what he's there to do. Yep. Because if he yep. plays the 11 games we have, a significant period of them, we're going to have a very exciting May. You know, and that's Georginio's role, in my opinion.
1: <coughs> yeah, you have to be careful about narrative as a fan because you can talk yourself into something being true that sounds true but that you can't prove and 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 may be totally off base. I really felt watching this that over both legs you saw an Arsenal team managing its way through the tie. We're good enough, eventually we'll win it. Premier League's what matters, manage our way through it. And I saw a sporting team that cared about this and nothing but this. I mean, you saw what it meant, the way they were kicking some of our players at the end there. They were fired up. And when you get a fired up team that's 100% committed and a team managing their way through it, this can happen. And, you know, there was a point in the first half when we had the lead and sporting weren't really at the races. And the game slowed to a complete walking pace. And it was a moment where I thought we really could have ripped them apart. Their backline was a little jagged. There were opportunities. And, and that intensity. Look look at the way we approached the Premier League. Look at the, the ferocity with which we fought back against Bournemouth. Or the ferocity with which we tore Fulham apart. Did you see that on display against Sporting? I don't care who the players were. Did you see that? Did you see Zinchenko that was everywhere he needed to be at all times? No, I saw Zinchenko that was happy to kind of hang out in the left half space, left wing. I'm here if you need me, guys. Managing their way through it. And look, I don't think we wanted, we got the worst outcome. We got injuries, we got 120 minutes, and we lost. If you said to Mikel Arteta, pick the things you don't want to happen and say, whatever happens, I don't want injuries. All right. But if we get injuries, at least don't give me 120 minutes. And if we're going to do that, you know, at least don't lose. And we did all three of those. So it really is the worst case scenario in that respect. Um, You know, Martinelli having to play 120 minutes, I think Zinchenko went the 120 minutes. Um, You know, that's not going to help us. Paul, there, there, were couple, there were a couple of the performances that I think deserve a bit of criticism. Uh, you, know, you don't want to stick the boot in because I, I do think that, unfortunately, there was a little bit of bargaining being made with all the Arsenal players about how important this one was. And this is the other thing about rotation, and, and I think this is really important. It's hard to evaluate a player who's not a starter when he comes in and doesn't get to play with other starters, right? So we're going to get a little bit critical of, of Fabio Vieira but like Fabio Vieira didn't have Bakayo Saka to his right and Thomas Partey behind him. He had Reece Nelson to his right and Jorginho behind him, right? And, and that's a different dynamic and that's not what he would have asked for. And oh, by the way, for most of the game, he didn't have William Saliba breaking lines and giving him the ball. He had Rob Holding running who knows where going on an adventure. Just happy to be involved. Thanks for including me, guys. Look at my hair. Look at my hairband. I have a hairband now. Right? Like that that that's how that worked out. So when you don't have Saliba's line breaking passes and ground covering and you don't have Partey's ground covering and an ability to drag defenders away and you don't have Bukayo Saka who can control the ball, you know, trap the ball even if it's fired at him and beat a guy, yeah, you're not going to look as good, but you still have to look better than he did. <laughs> so Paul, like people, people are pretty down on the Vieira performance. I, I happen to still rate the player really, really highly because I think his technical level is there. But I think there are people that are a bit concerned about his physical level, yeah. which fair enough. Um, that he doesn't control his territory well enough. I, I think you were critical of him in the instant reaction, and I am willing to give you the the room to explore that idea further.
3: Yeah, look, I think you have you laid it out pretty well in that. You know, we had a discussion yesterday about can you play those three players in the midfield together? And I think in terms of Xhaka, Jorginho and Vieira, um, that's a midfield many teams would fancy getting at. Um, but the other part of it is, if you look down that right-hand side, like this was a good starting lineup, a good 11. We even played Ramsdale in goal, right? I mean, we weren't screwing around. It wasn't the level of the players. It was the fit and unfamiliarity of it. Because by the time we brought uh, Holding on, you had uh, Vieira, uh, Nelson, Jorginho, who leans to the right in midfield. You had Holding. You had, okay, you were getting wiped, but you'd had Tommy Yasu and it was changed. So all down that right-hand side are good players who are good enough to be starting this Europa League game. Uh, but they don't know each other; they don't play together in those kind of combos but yeah i my brand is to to see the potential in players to be positive and so Vieira f- is one where like I can see he's got skills but I, I haven't seen it yet that he's a player I'd want playing in the premier League mm. uh the physicality like. There, there was a nar- narrative, I think Edu's made this point, that he, he's a, a- acclimating to uh, to England, to the Premier League for the first six months. That makes sense. Um, but in second six months, you want a real contribution here in the second half of the season. Uh, the one player we did seem determined to rest was Odegaard. He didn't come on until there was about 20 minutes to go. And what a massive lift he gave. Um, he was my uh, stock rising last night when we were struggling for stock risings, but he was very clearly a stock rising for me, not because he had a performance we wouldn't associate with him, but his leadership, the way this, that was when these players, and we had, by then we had a pretty good lineup on the pitch, but it, it still hadn't fully kicked in. When Odegaard came in, when he got the crowd going, uh, like he's grown into that armband. I don't know if you can grow into an armband because it's only <laughs> a little piece of fabric. But he grew into... He what the curls grown. are for. Yeah. Are the curls, <laughs> you just do a couple curls. That's how you grow in the armband. <laughs> I wouldn't know that stuff. <laughs> but you would. Uh, it, yeah. Beefcake. Um, but one, one of the things I've... I saw a photo recently of Odegaard standing next to Vieira, and they both, in theory, have somewhat diminutive stature. But, like, Odegaard, compared to Vieira, is built. He's about 50% wider. He's, he's just a bigger frame. He's more muscular. Um, now, I don't know how Vieira can widen himself. He can certainly add some strength, some muscle. Sometimes it's surprising how big Saka can look and muscular compared to players next to him. When He, he doesn't look it on the pitch. You think he's a small player. But you see the outcome of it on the pitch. Vieira just looks very light and flimsy. And unless we're ball dominant in controlling a game, which is also what Jorginho needs, and it's what Saka needs for that midfield to work. And if we're a little sloppy, and I think we all saw plenty of sloppy last night, um, the one thing you want from Vieira and Jorginho, if they're going to be on the pitch, is super crisp, super clean passing um, from them and everybody around them. Uh, Zinchenko, these are all very technical players. You can't lose the ball, because if you do, like that's actually four players you don't want having... And Sporting did that. They ran through our midfield multiple times. And I would say the hallmark of an Arteta team since he came was making sure our shape, making sure uh, we kept compact. And I think I saw him on the sideline. I'm learning his hand signals. He seemed to be bringing his hands together, like get compact, get the shape together. And like we might have been dull for the first 12, 18 months of Arteta's tenure. But the one thing you didn't see was us getting run through, getting transitioned, and, like, these guys came down the middle three, four, five times uh, in, in, the first, in the first and second half. And I, I would be very nervous of Vieira. Uh, there's a lot of players we have who I think will probably be okay if the other 10 are the starting 10 of the starting 11. Players who all know how they fit. Like, you put Vieira into that and we're ball dominant against a team probably going to be okay in the Europa League and in many Premier League games, unless it's the best teams. But if if we don't have the ball or we're being sloppy that day or a little fatigued, that that for me is a major vulnerability. And I'm normally a little bit positive on our players and they're projecting their potential. But Vieira is one where I haven't seen it yet. I, like, I do believe he's going to be a player. I know people hold him in re- in high regard, the club does Arteta, Edu. So I'm optimistic on him, but I haven't I haven't seen anywhere near enough to make me think, gosh, that's a player I want standing in our midfield, or he can almost do what Odegaard did. I think Odegaard came on and showed us what Odegaard does, and it was sizable in terms of what it changed for our team.
1: Yeah. Um the the Odegaard performance is the definition of captaincy for me, right? Like I don't care if we want to be in this competition or out of this competition. I don't care what your take on it is. I'm going to come in. I'm going to play with intensity. I'm going to tell the crowd to get up and get intense. Yeah. Yeah. We get it. The roof caved in and you're soaking wet. You still got to cheer. You still got to sing. Come on. Just because it's bucketing down on your heads and you have nowhere to stand. You still got to sing. You still got to cheer. Um, yeah. It was the definition of captain's performance from Garden. Like, with, with all due respect to, to Vieira, like the distance between Odegaard, who might be the best player in the Premier League, and Vieira is a chasm. That's not a critique of Vieira particularly because the distance between Odegaard and most players right now is a chasm. But the leadership he showed when he came on was really, really impressive. Um, I, I don't think we need to do anything on, on our goal like, oh, can I, have, can I have a
2: little discussion on Vieira? I mean, I, I, I would...
1: I mean, I know. Because I just, I, here's the problem. I know you're going to get stuck in. You're going to dig him out. You're going to say stuff you regret. I'm trying <laughs> to no, save you from that, Clive. Because no. I know how you get. You get really angry, and you say things from the heart and not the head. But okay, I'm going to trust you here. Just be okay. careful,
2: mate. I'll, I'll give it a go, right? And so <laughs> I, 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 do, I just think his game is trapped in the amount of touches that he has, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's all about... How assertive can you be to get on the ball? So Paul says he hasn't seen much from him yet, and I and I agree. There's been patches where he's been good, there's been patches where he's not been good. But just a week or so ago, he was one of our best players in the away leg. In the away leg, he had 67 touches and had much more ball possession. He was he was probably our second best player on the day, right? So, and I you know he was fine on the day. Um, In this game, he had 47 touches in 101 minutes. Odegaard had 24 touches in 19 minutes. And I was watching him trying to get on the ball. And what he does is he knocks it and he sort of, he disappears. He runs in and he runs through. And what Odegaard does is he knocks it and he goes to find another angle to get it back. So we're not getting that continuity that we're used to. He's a different style player. If you watch this game, Rhys Nelson was really being diligent defensively. And he was many times behind Vieira. So Vieira never had a pass. We didn't hold our shape on that side. It was broken. And we Rob holding dropping in as well and being really aggressive. Reed Nelson had been really diligent defensively. But again, that kills passing options. For me, the number one thing coaching message to Vieira is, can you have 60 touches a game? Because I think you're not bad on the ball. But you've got to work harder to get on the ball. You've got to stop running into places where we can't find you. Get on the ball. Have touches. Don't... Because you've got good feet. We've got to get you on the ball more. Having 47 touches in 101 minutes is not enough. It really isn't. For a player, Just not going to smash you in a tackle or smash you in the header. We want you on the ball. I'm, I've moved away from looking so much in my football life, looking at um, physicality of players only. You need a balance of physicality versus people who can move... Bernardo Silva's even smaller than Vieira, and he seems to do fine. You know, and so you just got to make sure that the pattern and the -the on-the-ball responsibility is shared appropriately for Vieira. He's got to work harder to get on the ball to show his boots. When he has the ball, he's pretty decent. If you're off the ball and no one can find you, you look like the little small guy that's not quite engaged and present in the game, and you're the first guy that gets taken off. And that's what should happen. And when Odegaard came on, he said, nah, I'm not having this. Give me the ball. Now, at 21-22, where was Odegaard playing? Real Sociedad? Mm-hmm. Was somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, dude, we didn't see what he did on a week-to-week basis. He was very, very good in Real Sociedad. We saw what
1: he did at Arsenal when he first arrived, Clyde. Yeah. wasn't this. We weren't in, sure Odegaard, about it. Many people
2: right weren't sure about paying the 30 million for him let's be honest, we weren't sure, we thought maybe he's a little bit weak, he's not bad, you know, but he seems to have the right, you know, the right behaviours, He's, but, you know, he needs to find a home, you know. There was a conversation, there was a three-way conversation, I remember being part of it between Wendy and Madison and Odegaard, and I wasn't bothered which one that came, I put my hand up. In hindsight, I'm glad we we got the right one, right? So, um, but there was, you do develop, and all I'll say to people is, I'm not sure what Vieira's going to be. But I listen to the manager, I listen to how he speaks about him. And I listen to everybody in the club speak about him, thinking, well, they're not idiots. They're not idiots. And so I'm prepared to give him the time if they are. And let's see what happens, right? And I don't... So yeah, just give him a bit of time, really.
3: Look, I feel Clive came at me there, bodied me on the. 50- oh, mountain. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't at you, Paul. <laughs> I'm gonna do an I, I Elliot. knew he was um, gonna do something like that, Paul. He's always burning,
1: the, burning the house down, me, this guy. But
3: I'm mm. gonna come back at him. Oh, you God, come, at, him. you shoot at the stars, Clive, and hit the moon. You're gonna hit it at about fifty-seven thousand miles an hour. You're in a rocket, oh. for God's sake! <laughs> <laughs> right, there you go. I'm not okay, sure what good. that means. Um, but, um,
2: look, but yeah, no, I'm. It I'm is about it is about touches, head. It's just about being on the ball, be more ball dominant because we're used to it. We don't, we get it from Shaka. We get it from party. We get it from Odegaard. You can't be running off into cul de where we can't find you. Knock it, get it back. Knock it again. Get it back. Run around people. Get it back. Just have more touches. That's not enough. That's not enough.
1: Yeah. Look, this is, it is always difficult in my view to fully and properly assess players as I said, when they're not in the group and when they're facing a unique set of circumstances, and this is a very unique set of circumstances. Like the other thing that happens is we tend to have the last performance be the most important performance. What do they call that? Like primacy or you know, the, the I, I don't know, but like recency, recency bias, like Fa- Fabio cool. Vieira was our best player in Portugal in the first leg. <laughs> and people were saying, how can you drop him for the Fulham game on the basis of how he played in Portugal, so like it, it it's <laughs> it's difficult because I have seen Fabio Vera be influential, maybe not as influential as we'd like, but this is a process, and and I I just think this the, the pain of of getting knocked out in this game combined with the quality of his performance and then the clear contrast with Odegaard's performance all sort of create a perfect storm to point the finger at him. Paul, a last thought on this because it doesn't need to be the the Vieira cast.
3: It doesn't, but I I think this. This, for me, was the significant thing. I talked about the PPDA stat on instant reaction, which is basically a measure of how much do we press them uh, when they have the ball. And if you think of us as our best with Odegaard, Jesus, and Martinelli, uh, we press the BJs out of their back line while they're trying to play it through midfield. Um, Normally, we'd be looking for a, a... a measure of like seven or eight passes they get off before we tackle or intercept. We were at 18 with Vieira and co on the pitch. The, the, you could see the lack of pressing and physicality, the ease with which they played out through the back, through our middle, got at us. And like, that's the way we play now. It wasn't the way we always played under Arteta in the early days. I I used to wonder, it was something I talked about all the time, you know, kind of, I talk about oh, there was a bit of pressing today, or where's the pressing? And it didn't seem to come. But that's how we play now. That's what Odegaard brings us. He's basically the leader of that pressing line, and that's a huge drop off. You know, forgetting how good Vieira is or isn't on the ball. His, you know, the the creativity. And of course, that's a big part of it. Keeping hold of the ball and and using it when you have it. But the ease with which they get at us when we don't have Odegaard in that spot, um, like it completely changed once he came on the pitch. Our pressing numbers shot up, and you, you'll you remember it, That last 20 minutes, we had them pinned in. They couldn't get out. They couldn't play through. They couldn't get long. How did they have all that access to us in the first whatever, uh, what was it, 100 minutes before Odegaard came on? We got better with Saka, but we still didn't do our thing, till Odegaard came on, and we got that full-on press with Trossard, Martinelli, Saka, and Odegaard going at them. Party in midfield, like, all the other players help with that press too. You need to be backed up with your parties, Xhaka's, uh, Odegaard at the eight, the the free, three guys across the front. So part of it was sloppiness, part of it was not using the ball well enough, giving it, giving it back too easily. But a big piece of it was we did... They played out from the back way too easy for a team that's. uh, We're now geared to press their back line and press their lower midfield.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, all right. That's a really good point, actually, there, what Paul's made. But really, does it underpin the fact that we are trying to win that game at 80% effort? You know, that's the edge that you bring when you're really focused on the prize. That's a really good metric to measure that edge with regard to the person, though, Paul, I do agree with you, Rodegaard, he is the man that leads the people over the top, right? But Jesus is the best defensive forward in the world on his first game back, on his first start, so that sort of, like, wasn't quite there. And Nelson was too deep. And Martinelli is managing himself through the game as somebody we're going to desperately need on Sunday. So I think he's a really good measure, a metric to measure the fact that we try to jog it, mate. We try to jog the game and win it with minimal effort, knowing that the real prize is the other thing we're going for. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, I want to talk about what the exit actually means. I think that there's a big conversation for that. I I, want to draw a comparison with the Invincibles, in fact, uh, which I'm sure people always enjoy when we invoke that. Um, I don't think we need to discuss the goals. Our goal is fine. Good job. Jorginho, lovely pass. Martinelli, Kind of scuffs his shot. Shaq a good follow-up. And their goal is, it's a wonder goal. I mean, it's, it's one of the great goals in European competition. And I don't have an issue with Ramsdale. Ramsdale has to play on the halfway line for us to play the way we play. He's in the position he needs to be in. And that shot finds the only place it can get past him. And oh, by the way, if you want to be critical of Ramsdale on that one, you could turn around and say, he did brilliantly on the 1v1 that hits him in the face to be in the perfect position, spread himself big, and that, save that one. So, you know, th- there, there were plenty of moments in this game that could have had another goal where he kept them from getting another goal. If you want to be critical of Ramsdale, you can be on the penalties and we'll come to that. So let's do this. Let's, let's move through the balance of the game Let's talk about the implications for our season and our, our feelings in the wake of this and what it, what the team needs to do and maybe a little bit about Palace sacking Vieira because um, all of those things are important and it, it definitely feels like a day for for this reminder. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, it's interesting because I, I literally, I'm in some debates in the Discord on Patreon right now, people taking issue with the way I express my emotion on uh on the whistle in our in our Instant Reaction podcast. And like yesterday on Twitter and on social media was a little reminder of how sometimes when your emotions well up and then you get into it on social media, like it can really stick with you. You can find yourself at one in the morning, on your phone, in multiple arguments. You know, the always on, always connected aspect of our lives right now means that we are bombarded with emotion at all times and bombarded with conflict. I really think finding someone to work with to help you Better process, all this emotion that's thrown at us and bombarding us these days is like really, really important. Better help is therapy. That's all it is. It's therapy. It's just therapy that is easier to access. It's therapy that uh, may be more affordable, where you may have access to a specialist that wouldn't otherwise be available in your area that lets you choose if you want to be on camera or off camera, right? It lets you find a, th- a therapist that's suited to, it's flexible, and all you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist, You know, and if you need to switch, you can switch, which, you know, again, I mean, like, I don't think you want to just go like therapist shopping, but at the same time, if it's not a fit, you need to make that change to find someone who is a fit. This gives you more opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's, it's a tough time to be a person. There's just so much more on our plate psychologically. And if you don't work through it, it can really, it can really back up on you. So. You can get the help from BetterHelp. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash vision. Now, one of the cooler new sponsors we have is Shady Rays. Shady Rays is a sunglasses company before you get worried about that name. There's a couple things I like. They have phenomenal polarized shades and customized snow goggles and much more. So if you're a skier, it's great for that. From the sun to the slopes is what they say. Um, they've got all the styles. They they are really high quality. I've had the chance to wear them. They feel great. They're uh, philanthropic. They've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger, which is awesome. But this is the thing. This was the thing that for me convinced me, yeah, come, come be a sponsor on our show they are every pair you buy are backed by a lost and broken replacement guarantee they're telling us that if you lose or break a pair even on day one they'll send you a brand new pair no questions asked now that's wild because i think if you're listening to this pod and you have sunglasses odds are it's not the first pair you bought and the reason you bought them is because you lost or broke the last pair so there you go lost or broken and a 30-day risk-free trial if you don't like them send those back too so exclusively for you guys, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code Arsenal Vision. You get half off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses, plus that guarantee I mentioned. ShadyRays.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. And last but not least, you want to start a business? A Uber driver the other day tell me about his silkscreen shirt. He does, makes these beautiful silkscreen shirts, but he doesn't know how to sell them to a wider audience. They're really popular. I told him about Shopify. My wife has been doing some baking, wants to sell some of the stuff she bakes, building a site on Shopify. Why? Because it's the easiest way to do it. If you have an idea and you want to turn it into a business, you got to use Shopify. You can sell on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff very easily. You can design gorgeous, professional-looking sites. There's 24-7 support. And more than that, um, they'll handle the payment processing. They'll handle the taxation stuff. They'll handle the shipping issues, things that feel overwhelming to someone who's not business oriented or not business experienced. they just take that off your plate so all you do is make sure you like the way the site looks turn it on and give the link out that's really it shopify does the rest sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash arsenal vision all lower case don't know why but that's what it is go to shopify.com slash arsenal vision take your business to the next level today shopify.com slash arsenal vision clive is that
2: enough of that indeed
1: Okay, back to business. Um, can we quickly... So, so look, we, we could have won this game late. I, I definitely think the way we pushed and pushed and pushed was impressive. Too little, too late. As it turns out, they rode their luck a bit. Um, which, you know, so be it. And... Like, I, I think they got a little physical, as a way to put it. There were some kicks and, and fouls there late that I, I I don't really understand what the heck they were doing. But then we come to penalties, and and Clive, like ultimately, I don't have too much of an issue with penalties. They took good ones, we took good ones. You know, Martinelli's was saved. You know, it's going to happen. But like, do you have any issue with Ramsdale on the penalties? I think that would be where people are frustrated. There's this sort of, um, there's this sort of truism that if you get your hands to it, you have to keep it out. He got his hands to a couple of them. One in particular he got two hands to. Like to see him do better there.
2: I would like to see him do better, but I thought. Um... He hasn't really proven it to us yet that he can save these penalties. So we have these high expectations on goalkeepers. I thought he, he shaped really well for them. And the ones he got two hands to, he was right as his extremities. He was literally right there. And, um, and he just couldn't stretch anymore. I don't look at him and think he could have been more athletic, he could have been more. So I just think. They were good penalties. The pace and the power took it through through him. There was one that went under him that he he had to put one arm down quickly, and he just didn't quite didn't quite happen. But there was a few penalties that just went over and under around for both keepers, right? So um, in the end, Martinelli penalty, he sort of leant one way, and as he fell away on his run up. That's only going one side and goalkeepers know that. It's this experience of the run up, really. You can tell from the run up and the stride pattern what's gonna happen and, and he read it, so on Ramsdale to be proven, to be proven. But I don't see <laughs> I don't see Peter Shilton, Italian ninety, jumping across the goal. I don't see that. I see somebody that just needs to um make a good decision soon and make a good save, and then we'll all change our opinions. So athletically and sharpness-wise, I think he's got it. He just didn't quite have it on this day against a really good penalty that he was facing, really, Elliot.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we need to get too stuck into that. I think there's a more interesting and important conversation to be had, and let's be honest, Ramsdale's our number one keeper. He's great. He's going to stay our number one keeper. If you want to say he, he didn't do a good enough job on the penalties, like, I'm all for that. I, I agree. But, like, saving – the thing about saving penalties, right, is I see it as a bonus. If you are able to save a penalty, that's great. I start with the presumption that you won't save them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there are certain things I expect. I expect you to be good with your feet. I expect you to be able to pass out from the back. I expect you to save the shots that can be saved. Anything beyond that is a bonus. If you save a penalty, that's a bonus, right? I don't say, of my keeper, I expect you to save half your penalty. Like, you're just not going to do that. So so we're out. Yeah, uh, Clive?
2: I just want to say, sometimes things happen and for a reason, and... um you know, we saw Saka missed a big penalty for, for England and he looks cool as a cucumber touchwood. Now, Martinelli's had a first big moment where I'm sure he'll learn from it. And I think Ramsdale will learn from this. And sometimes things happen in the season that open up a window or close the window. Say Ramsdale had saved the penalties and we went through. I would be worried about our fixed schedule now. I, that would be the fixed schedule we'd be talking about with the injuries that we picked up and what we're going to focus on. I remember back to the Invincibles year, Elliot, the late. And Jose Antonio Reyes scored two goals against Chelsea in the FA Cup. And we got through to the semi final. And I often wished if he'd not scored those goals, would we have ditched the FA Cup and really focused on the league and the Champions League? And would we have won both of those two things rather than miss out on the Champions League and the FA Cup in three, four days and really drop the trophy that this club needs? We should have won the, that team should have won the Champions League. You know, and sometimes events happen that, that stop you in your path that may open up another path. And I keep saying that the path we want is the league, you know, and and the manager told us what he wants by the changes that he makes in his competition. You know, and that's the truth, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, so well, first, Paul, like, I want to I talk about just quickly, 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 the, the emotion of losing and stuff. Like, this, this was a thing that I tried to go really big on in the instant reaction. There are super fans who want to tell you Never criticize. Ne- How We're top of the league. How can you be critical? How can you be upset? Right? And then there are, there are super fans that say, well, we always wanted out of this competition, so you can't pretend now that you're upset. Your heart and your brain are two different organs, and they they have two different reactions. In my head, I can clearly understand why being out of the Europa League is likely a benefit for our league campaign, and we'll get into that. In my heart, when you're in a penalty shootout to progress in a knockout competition in Europe where we've not had a good record against a team I regard as inferior to us and they save a penalty and score their final one and you've crashed out, I am crestfallen. That's my emotion. And so I think there needs to be space for the emotion and space for the intellect. So let's set aside the 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 sort of... Um, Let's set aside the practicalities for a minute, and just with the emotion, like, can we at least agree if you were upset about this, if it really kept you down, if it re- if it really bothered you, like that? That's kind of how it works, right? Like, the, there's nothing nothing wrong with that.
3: Yeah, uh, like anybody who isn't conflicted about the Europa League being in the Europa League, uh, going for the Ro- Europa League versus should you spare yourself for the Premier League and going back and forward and back and forward that in your mind and in your emotions, you're weird. If you think there's no conflict and that absolutely Arsenal should go balls out for the Premier League and the Europa League, no holes barred, all in, or if you think the only thing Arsenal should do is play the Premier League and you should literally send out kids and get eviscerated in the media and have it all go toxic and everybody kick off because you got 60,000 fans in the the stadium and you've disrespected the competition. Like we put out the lineup you had to put out last night. The team were serious. They tried. They played. But guess what? They're obsessed about the Premier League. Guess what? They should be. Um, They would have loved to have won the Europa League. But, like, guys, there has to be some level of prioritization. They were torn. The manager was torn. Every one of us was torn. And anybody who's pretending that the uh, people want a simple answer to a complex situation, there is no simple answer. And so you're all out there beating each other up on the Twitters or in bars, getting into little pushing matches. (laughs) <laughs> with with the guy you thought was your friend cuz he wants the Euro- a little bit more series in the Europa League than the Premier League and vice versa like if if you aren't conflicted you're a liar or you're weird because conflict was built in even in the team right the first 50 60 70 minutes was just that little bit somewhere between a bit off and quite half-hearted the last uh, section bring on Odegaard! Look who we had on at the end, like the in added time. It was basically our starting eleven, um, <clears throat> the best players we have on the pitch playing together. We battered them. We we scored a great a great goal. They scored a free goal. We should have been one zero up. Okay, they had their chances, and in added time we absolutely battered them. Um, how it goes. And like, yeah. If you can't logic the fact that in the Premier League we're at least 50-50 to win this thing and in the Europa League that we, even if you gave us the benefit of the doubt on uh, who would we have played, Ju- Juventus theoretically and after that United and then you got a final. Let's say we back ourselves and we're 55% to win each one of those, each round of that including the final, because we believe in us, but we know it's going to be a battle. The odds at the end of that are 15% you win the Europa League. So if you're not conflicted based on that, you're not thinking, because we're 50-50 or better on the Premier League. We're 15-20% on the Europa League. Conflict is inherent.
1: Yeah, and by the way, like I see both sides of this. The people who want to be like, this is good for us. This helps us win the Premier League. They're probably right. And the people who are like, screw this. I wanted a European trophy. I wanted to progress in this tournament. I hate seeing us lose. It really hurt to see us crash out. They're right too. And if we're being honest, every single one of us probably has a little bit of both. But then we get on social media and we project just one. Yep. right so you may be like oh that hurt i hate it but the tweet you write is so glad we're out of that shitty competition lol or you might be like that actually probably helps our league campaign but the tweet you write is can't believe we effing lost it in the sick round of 16 the europa league right and so the problem is you become you become defined by that and then you defend that and then your backs to the wall and that defines you not the duality the conflict that you that you feel, that we rightly all feel. So I was very hurt at full-time. But sitting here today, looking at City potentially having as many as 19 fixtures, at least 17, and two rearranged Premier League fixtures, and us having 11. Think about this. If we can beat Palace on Sunday and then have two weeks off to get nice and healthy, we will be eight points clear with 10 games left in our entire season. Just 10 games. They will need to overhaul eight points and have up to 19 games left to play. There's no denying what that means for us. And I would just put this to you. Have you experienced anything more painful in football than the Wayne Bridge goal in the Champions League in 2004? It's up there with the most painful moments I've ever experienced. Now let me ask you this. Without that moment, do you think we have the invincibles? I don't know that we do. We crashed out to United and Chelsea in about a week in the FA Cup and the Champions League. It's a disgrace. It's unacceptable. It hurt. I was mad about it at the time, but it helped us go invincible. And that's, that's just how this works. Clive's shaking his head no. It absolutely helped, Clive. We don't go invincible, in my view, if we progress in the FA Cup and the Champions League in that season. So you can't, you don't get to have it all, all the time. And in fact, what's the last league and European double is it United in 99, the treble winners? I think it's the last league in European double. There's a reason it's so hard. And I realize the Europa League is not the Champions League. But for me, Clive, if we win the title this season, I will be convinced this exit may have given us that extra little 5% that we needed to make that happen. I, that's just how I see it. That's my honest opinion.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you about 2004, right? but I would have preferred the Champions League League double, Um, so I would have preferred to go out to Chelsea, which I said earlier, but I will say last night hurt at the time, and as every hour went on, I realised that actually we're in a better place now to win the league than we were a day or so ago, and that's hard to accept, but it's an acceptance of where we are in the project life cycle, and... It's the acceptance of where we are with some of the players where they are in their careers. Some maybe later in their careers, some maybe too early in their careers, to how they can support the the first twelve, thirteen and so where they are in their injury status. You know, we have names to come back that every time, you know, another week goes on they get fitter and better and more able to contribute. I just think reality hit me in the last twenty four hours and um Getting that development right for the last 11 games is important. We've seen what's happened to Liverpool this year with having midfielders underdeveloped. They've not been able to sustain a challenge. So, hey, let's see how we go. But I'm with you. I think we're in a better place, but it still hurts, right? We've lost a football match emotionally after extra time at home. And that's going to take a bit of time. Look at Arteta's face. He wasn't happy. He looked drained emotionally. So everything now should be focused on recovery mentally and recovery physically for Sunday, which is a final for us. It really is because it sets up the next phase of the season.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it it really does. Um, and, I mean, I don't know who is going to be available. I, I assume most players will be, whether whether Saliba is or not. I mean, that that's going to be a big issue. Paul, just with respect to how this does, you know, potentially help our season, like, Even if you listen to the players, like sometimes there's just an edge in the quotes. Like if you listen to the players, do they sound crestfallen? Like I'm not saying they didn't want to win. That's not my point. But some of the quotes to me suggest that they're kind of like, okay, that's out of the way. We're laser focused on our 11 cup finals. Like do, do you get the sense from some of the quotes, Paul, that, you know, emotionally, Th- there were some priorities made here, and and that's human nature. But I I did not get off of their post-match comments a, a crestfallen group.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, look, they left it all out there at least by the end of that game. Uh, it's a kick in the nuts, especially when it goes to penalties and you lose that way. But, like, immediately, you know what happened when they went into that dressing room. It was like... Uh, You know, that hurts like a mother, but guys, we got to take this out on Palace at the weekend. Like there's got to be vengeance, vengeance for Patrick Vieira, vengeance for that, uh, the way we went out, vengeance for having dropped out of that other competition. Like I say, there isn't a green and a red button, but once somebody slaps that green button that says, okay, it's the Premier League only, like, all decisions are now made emotionally. The clarity is there, right? There are no more choices to make. You know that you got a game every five, seven days. You can now start planning fitness of your team, who plays which game, who skips the next game, will, will play the next game, Alex Ferguson style. style. Mm. Hey, Trossard, uh, look, you've been great, but um, I've got you lined up for this game, the one after this one. I want you to come on and make a big contribution uh at the weekend for 30 minutes you can start planning out where you're going whereas when you've got a europa league a premier league a europa league premier league you don't know who you got on the sunday even on thursday night before the whistle goes and maybe even the friday and maybe even the saturday how many times have we heard arteta say well we don't really know we're gonna have to see in the final training session whether we've got a guy or not which has knock-on effects for at least one other player. Who's in, who's out, who's starting, who's off the bench. Now you get to plan out your season, of course. God laughs at those uh, who who think they have a plan for their life. But by and large, 90% of the I don't know who's going to be available to us at the weekend goes away, and you can start to manage yourself. Red zones mean something, orange zones mean something. You know who you got when you got them. And I think the moment they walked off this pitch into the dressing room, Odegaard, Jacca, those guys stood up and said, Guys, walk it off, shake it off. We take it out on Palace at the weekend. All your focus. And like these guys have the interlow coming up and will care somewhat about their, like they've got a lot to distract them. I don't think they're going to be hugely crestfallen. Uh, because the big one is left, and this clarifies. Like it or not, it has clarified it for this team.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you start to think about the silver linings here. Like, we go in week in, week out now to play these games, and like Martinelli, Trasard, Jesus, Saka, Odegaard, like v- Vieira, if you want to use him, Xhaka, um Zinchenko, White, Gabriel, probably Saliba and Ramsdale, they all look good to go and that party. Was like a
3: German yeah. sentence, you had to wait right till the end till there was a verb. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, what? Is, he's listing I, off the team.
1: I, I love with it, I, but but they all they all look they all look good to go. But I mean, Saliba would be the only question mark of that group, and and the 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 front three that looks like a pretty fearsome group now. And, and by the way, I know people didn't love Nelson's performance. I think Nelson has looked good recently, though. And if you want to throw him in that group, and Smith Rowe, by the way, who, let's not forget him. I mean, I I think it's unfortunate he didn't get to play in this game. I am still of the opinion that he's being eased back more than anything else. But when you look at a group of Smith Rowe and Nelson and Saka and Troussard and Martinelli and and Jesus, and I don't know if Nketty will be back this season, frankly, so we'll have to set him aside. Like, it does look pretty good. Clive, the one that that I think is the issue now, Saliba for the weekend, it might be, you know, here's where it gets tough, right? If I'm Mikel Arteta, I maybe sort of kind of try to get through Sunday without Saliba because I've got two weeks then to tell France, sorry, hands off, you can't have him, he's injured, and he's going to be perfect when you get back. And what I would have done is I would have played white at center back and I would have played Tomiyasu at right back, and now I can't do that. The downside of holding's performance against sporting is I would be very, very, very scared to play him in a Premier League game because he went on a lot of adventures in this game. Um, I love Rob Rob Holding, the person. I think he's a good dressing room guy. I think his hair transplant is one of the great wonders of the modern world, but I don't know that Mikel is going to feel like he can use him, and so that leaves you in a position to play Saliba if you think you can. W- what's, what's your take on what to do about Saliba if he's 50-50 for Sunday with two weeks to rest him? What's... what's um, What's your thought?
2: Um, I I didn't think Rob uh, Rob holding early on. What he does, what I find with him is when he comes onto the game or when he starts a game, the early parts of his game are quite um, unsettled, shall we say? And mm-hmm. I think he just wants to old school in the back. I'm going to let you have it, you know, let you leave one on you, and, and he wants to leave his mark. And so he plays his own game. Whereas Leiber, what he does is as I said earlier. He covers for other people's mistakes, right? So he's he's our backdoor's insurance policy. It's a different dynamic, but I do think holding settled into the game, and and I stopped looking at him, you know, after a while, you know what I mean. I, but again, maybe that was because, as Paul said earlier, we ended up with our basically near nine of our first eleven on the pitch. Do you know what I mean like a, literally it was like that? So we looked much stronger. There was a different phases and there were some people really tired in that his first 11, but the names were there, the structure was there. And he settled down. And you know, I'd settled down, Thomas Party was in front of me, just basically mopping up everything. Suddenly I wouldn't have to go charging into that space because I feel more comfortable. You only go charging when you don't see the structure, right? So the the club will know what to do. Um I think it's gonna be interesting going forward now, Elliot. This is the thing that changes if you're one of those six or seven changes for Europa League squad player that knows he's going to get a start in those games, and those games have disappeared, you're waking up today saying, what is my role in this group now? Can I compete? Have I shown enough to compete for first-level position? There was a conversation this week about Arteta talking about his substitutes being impactors, stroke Eddie Jones, stroke finishers, I'm sure there'll be a lot of these type conversations happening this week about people's roles in these 11 games, because they've changed. Kieran Tinney, what's your role going to be? Are you going to be a, a back five defender late in game, you know, to play left centre back? Or are you going to be someone to come into, are we going to flip to a back five late in game? We suddenly haven't got another right back. Reece Nelson, are we going to deploy you as a right wing back late in games to hold games? These are all options that come on the table, you know. Someone to just hold that side and keep the centre back slightly inside. Ben White inside, and you end the game that way. You know, the roles are going to change. I think that's going to be the interesting thing how the manager sees people's roles. Is there going to be a role for Kyivior ending games late on as a left back potentially? We don't know any. All of these things are on the table. Kyivior plays centre midfield. Can, you know, when Shaka, because Shaka hit a wall yesterday physically, started the game brilliantly, but then hit a wall, his feet were stuck in the ground. Are we going to use Kibbjord as a, as a DM to hold games late in games, protect the back four? All of these things become available. You know, and I think that's where the management are going to be really going to have to work hard to make sure that everyone feels involved in, in the squad and has a role to play. And I'm sure that's what they're, they're working out on their little roadmap right now <laughs> for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, so... Just as a final thought on that, Paul, like looking ahead to the weekend, he'll have to decide Trussard or Jesus to start up front. Either one's fine with me. I suspect it'll be Jesus. If that's the case, he has to decide Martinelli or Trussard on the left. I think Martinelli's penalty miss, he'll be raring to go, but he played 120 minutes. I think what you'd prefer is to play Jesus up front, Trussard on the left, who didn't play the full game, Sacco who didn't play the full game, very fresh front three, and let Martinelli be an impactor in this game, right? Which I don't know that we want that phrase to catch on, frankly, but <laughs> that's another story. Um, and then, you know, obviously party shaka and, and, and Odegaard, um, obviously white on the right. I would think Gabriel probably Zinchenko, although I thought he had a weird performance, but he's been one of our best players. It really boils down to me to just the Saliba thing. Are you trying to get away protecting Saliba and playing Rob holding there? What w- what would your inclination be?
3: Um, well, I don't believe in back pain. I think that's something you walk off. But uh, maybe somebody who gets back pain has a different take on it. Um, good posture, my man. Good posture. Um, I think Salib is going to be desperate to play at the weekend because he's also going to want to play for France. There's so much competition, and he's, you know, it's a new cycle for them European Championship on the horizon, World Cup after that. It, intense pressure for that position it wouldn't matter if it was a pub game um you know uh he's going to want to lock that position down he's going to be desperate to play for us and play for france if there's any way humanly like arteta is not going to persuade him to that he needs to kind of sit out the weekend so that he doesn't have to send him for the france game saliba is going to say are you nuts man i'm going Um, there's no way he's keeping him home. He'll climb out his bedroom window in the middle of the night to get to that game. Um, So if it's humanly possible, he'll play. Um, I think the Trossard-Martinelli one's still an interesting discussion because, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what Arteta does. He may react to, actually, what Martinelli needs right now is to start. Um, I think it depends on how how low Martinelli's head goes. I don't think it's going to go very low. He's got Sanka right beside him saying, welcome to the club, bro. You're not a real penalty taker till you miss a big one. And so, and they're different enough in terms of players that um, Trossard doesn't quite give us what Martinelli gives us. I can see Arteta wanting Martinelli, Jesus, and that understanding. Jesus and Trossard haven't really played together. Um, And you can't look past this weekend. I think it's the most important thing we can do. All these narratives about what does this mean? We shouldn't be having these conversations. You can only start having those conversations after the palace game. If we lose that, the narratives about what just happened on Thursday night go one way. If we Mm. win it, all the narratives go the other way. And it's the best thing that ever happened. We lost the Europa League. Just watch it. If we win one thing. If we lose the other, and it'll be the same internal to the team. So he's just got to go as strong as possible, obviously, for this Palace game. And like, I actually think the big call um, is going to be Martinelli versus Trossard and what he wants over in that left wing. They're both great great players for us, but they they do the same area of the pitch somewhat differently. There's no chemistry yet between Trossard and Jesus. Um, I don't think it's that much of a slam dunk. Actually, uh, the Martinelli call. I, I, I'm kind of guessing he may start.
1: He played 120 minutes though, right? So yeah, and he's like he's
3: <laughs> Fair
1: point. I forgot I what tra- that's like. Yeah. Look, he, 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 let's put it this way: no one's going to complain if it's Trussard or Martinelli. No yeah. one's going to complain. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if he's inclined to start Martinelli, then he'd probably be inclined to start Trussard at center forward. Would be my thinking. That's but we'll see. You know, someone made an interesting point on, online. I know, there's a first for everything. And I thought this was interesting, right? Because I was pretty low last night. I'll level with you. I was pretty low. And uh, this person said, think about it this way. If we don't win the league, would winning the Europa League have changed how low we would feel? It's an interesting point. I don't. If we don't win the league, it's going to hurt real bad. And I don't know that the Europa League would have fixed that. Now, I think it would have have helped because timing is everything, right? The Europa League final would have been the last game of our season. And if we had won it, that would be our lasting memory, not the disappointment of the league. But, I mean, it wasn't going to stop how much that will hurt. There's no protecting yourself from this. There's no protecting yourself emotionally from this title chase. We're going to win it and feel extraordinary. We're going to not win it, and it's going to hurt no matter what. And, and I don't think you can insulate yourself from that even with the Europa League. Um, I would have liked to have won both. And I think where we have to sort of just find ourselves now is accepting that not being in the Europa League increases the likelihood we win the Premier League. Does it increase it 50%? No, it doesn't do that. It might be 5%. But that might be the 5% we need. Um, you know, and I think Man City's draw. You know, if you look at it, would you want Juventus followed by United in April? I mean, it'd be fun. It'd be exciting. Would the level drop a little bit on the weekends after that? It's hard not. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying and if to. If we're excused- crestfallen
3: losing against Sporting, how bad would it be to lose against United in the, for your Premier League run? Uh, I think it'd be pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: let's, we don't have to think about that. The, the, the beauty, of, and, and let's face it, right? One of the reasons I hate crashing out, you guys, let's just, let's just be petty. Let's just admit it. I just hate giving our rivals something to laugh at us about, right? Because you know United are going to do, oh, they're you know, their best season ever, and they're out of the FA Cup and the Europa League and Spurs fan But like, who cares about them? Win the league, go win the damn league, and it, it, and it, and it won't matter. This season has given me more joy than any season since the Invincibles. That's already done, no matter what happens. That's already done. So it's credit in the bank for me right now. That's where I'm at. I was low emotionally last night, but my heart and my head are back aligned, which is it's all about the league. One game till the interlow. If we win it, we're eight points clear with 10 games to play. I mean, as a final thought, Clive, we wanted Manchester City to get past Leipzig. We were rooting for that. Sitting here today, Manchester City fans, players, and manager are not happy we crashed out yesterday. And that should tell you something, right? They wanted us in this competition for a reason. So it's really simple now. win on Sunday and you come out of the international break on that taxiway, on that approach, perfectly positioned, to know exactly what needs to happen, exactly how to manage it. There's no complexity left anymore. Just go win the one game in front of you, and if you can keep doing that, you can be champions.
2: Yeah, absolutely right about the City fans. And Hey, look, we all have kryptonite, right? So what's our kryptonite? It's basically last season's fresh in our minds. We had a series of big games, and we failed, right? We failed. Pressure came off. We won the last couple, but we failed when it really mattered, and there were reasons for it. Squad depth, et cetera, Injury, untimely injury. Players on the pitch that weren't fit. And so we we failed. If we're looking at an April involving a Europa League quarterfinal second leg, followed by Man City, followed by Southampton, then got Newcastle and Chelsea thereafter. Hey, look, I, I love my team. I love my club. But I also know that a series of big games is something like that. The emotionally that drains you, I, I wouldn't be as confident of us going through that unscathed in some way or another. And and again, last night was a message to us, two players off in 20 minutes. That's how your season can change, right? In just a moment. And that's more likely to happen when you have multiple games. So, hey, it's a tough one. It's tough. I'm feeling better by the hour. And the goal is clear. Let's go and get it, right? Let's go and get it. There's nothing else in our way now. It's up to us. No excuses. We have the depth. We have the experience in the holes covered. Let's go and do it. And players that are not quite ready yet, get ready. Get ready, get fit, get ready, because they're all going to have a role to play.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. You know, long long pod for a Friday. So, so, I mean, this whole 11 Cup Finals thing, like on the one hand, that's exactly right. On the other hand, maybe that's going to feel like too much pressure. Maybe that's not the way you want to try to approach it. But Sunday feels like such a pivot point because we've just suffered an emotional low. And there's two ways it can go, right? Hard to lift yourself and get up for it. But here's what I expect. I think the angriest, meanest, most motivated Arsenal team you've ever seen is going to be on that pitch on Sunday. Embarrassed about crashing out. Embarrassed about the criticism they have to face when they're sitting top of the Premier League and they've just lost to the third place team in the Portuguese League in Europe.
4: In front of these very very loud Emirates.
1: Yep. Uh, Yeah, Patrick Vieira is going to give us all the tips on how to beat his team, which will be helpful because now he's he's out. Um, They're going to have a 19-year-old in goal. They're going to have an academy manager. And I think you just – they have – after the international break, they face all the teams around them. They face all the teams they need to beat to stay up. I think it sets up for Arsenal to come out extremely angry and hungry. And I think that's what we'll see, and I'm excited to see it. As I have been all season, excited to see how this team responds and I really believe in them, and I think we all should, because uh, they're going to need it now. 11 games to go. That's it. Couldn't be clearer. Couldn't be easier. All the complexity gone. 11 games to go. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul.
3: Shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll end up cold, lonely, out in the stars, run out of fuel.
1: And if you shoot the moon, we would all die because the oceans would overrun the planet and so anyway, just don't shoot the us, don't yeah. shoot the moon. We need that thing, um, very very important for the tides. Okay, good ending as as always, everybody. Good ending. Remember, keep an eye out on Patreon if you're over there for an announcement. Uh, both on the Ars blog and our uh, Patreon today, and uh, more after that. Anon, so we love you, and we'll talk to you after Ars Mill ten. Pals, no.